Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Hardy Book, Part 2. Further introduction into the Castletown Cosmos. Word up, fools. I'm going to be chatting about certain subjects close to mine cockles, garnished up with juicy life experiences, family, friends, climbs of the town, and the many trials and tribulations I've lived through at the hands of peevish adversaries. Let me explain to you the subtle rules of small-town diplomacy, carrying on the aural, not oral, traditions and legends of old. I've been around long enough to know the crack and the lay of the land. It won't be long till you be learning from my mistakes and the folly of other lads. Bit of wisdom that'll stand to you next time you find yourself throwing scalps outside Mr. Chips after a quantum of pints. A man, as in me, will be dropping the steeliest of insights, uploading season's advice from years of taking shortcuts that turn out to be the long way around. And I'm not talking about Ewan McGregor and Charlie Hebdo razzing about the continent on fancy fucking BMW touring bikes. No, 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 hey. I'm talking about thinking I was smart, only to meet myself coming back. And it's taken me until now to figure that out. When there's a job to be done, you just gotta do it right and dig in. Small town diplomacy. Small town diplomacy means keeping the peace with well-known arseholes around town to avoid later repercussions down the line. You see, the crack in small town Ireland isn't the same as living in big fancy cities over the globe. No, if you don't like somebody, and you rightly call them out for being an asshole, it'll probably come back to haunt you down the line, or else it'll turn into a scrap there and then. And you'll avoid each other for ages afterwards. But there'll come a time or place when the beef kicks off again. In Castletown, you cannot fully enjoy the spoils of war. If you beat someone in a duel, fair and square, it won't be enough for them. They'll wait to get you back 15 years later. You could be talking to someone after the hands have been shook. Come together as friends, compadres, amigos, sharing mutual interests, getting involved in each other's life, going to family gatherings together. You'd step in happily as the godfather to one of the kids, enjoying some quality time as best friends. Standing over a babbling rocky river fly fishing, over swirling pools filled with vibrant rainbow trout and salmon jumping for flies as the sun sets over a beautiful and serene golden purple streaked summer sky 
illustrated by God himself. Then you'll be going for gorgeous, creamy pints of plain on a cold spring evening in the local bar, furnished with nice, old-style wooden furnishings by a roaring fireside, the smell of peat wafting up your nostrils. You're cosy, content, sat there amongst good friends. Yourself and the lad you had a fight with many moons ago. You find it hard to believe that in your younger, less tempered years, such trivial differences were naively remedied with arbitrary violence. You'll be pulling up into the driveway one day, content with life, feeling that you've become grounded, valued in a wide-reaching sense of community, that you're making a positive difference. You've become a pillar of the community in the lives of those around you. You're the change that you would like to see in the world. And then without warning, bang, you're clocked in the back of the head and kicked squarely in the hoop. The tip of a boot has also connected with the back of your sack, sending a shockwave of surprise to your central nervous system. You stumble forward in disbelief, landing in a ruinous heap, confused and caught off guard, only to turn around then and look up to see your old adversary that you thought was like a brother to you. He's been biding his time all along, luring you in, lulling you into a false sense of security, sacrificing a rich life of friendship, family ties and years of planning just to settle a bruised ego from a row that you had on the back of a bus in front of other lads coming back from an away match when you were 17. You see, that's why you have to be cute. And life in Castletown can be a frustrating exercise in tolerance for the unavoidable climbs you'll surely encounter on a daily basis. All you can do is talk shite behind each other's back or create nuanced rumours that are so ludicrous and random that they're almost plausible. For example, there's now a rumour going around town about Big Bertie McNeela, a successful civil engineer who divorced the wife five years back, got himself a nice tidy Brazilian woman, and the pair of them, according to the rumour mill, are addicted to crack, and they did be shagging on webcams to local lads who'd be chipping in a few shekels to watch them doing mad shit at their request. Even though when you look at them, when they're out, they appear to be very relaxed, well turned out and respectable, decent people. You see, this is where the plausibility comes into it. Because even though he's got a top job, he's also a secret lemonade drinker, a sow for the pints. And he's a big unit of a man, so he'll not shy away from fighting young bucks neither. His woman then, not being from around town is an unknown quantity, she very may well have a penchant for the ivory rock. In other words, cocaine, cooked up with bacon soda and some other old weird shit to make crack. They say it was his ex-wife who started the rumour out of jealousy. But mark my words, once the rumour is out on anyone, 
you can bet your mother's 12 carat gold earrings any given falsehood will grow legs, long legs, and start doing vicious laps around the town. Now with this context in mind, putting up with people you have fuck all time for, such as Oni McCreevy, just one in a plethora of barflies hanging around the pubs of town, an absolute beast for steady pinting. Unlike the other fat old schlobs and skinny, tomato-faced, middle-aged, washout, egg-farting, double-talking bastards to be encountered, McCreevy simultaneously keeps fit and trim, as well as industrially converting pints into piss. He does be rattling off lines from Pat Short's Done Believables and to a lesser extent, Mrs. Brown's Boys. I don't know which is the worst of the two productions, to be honest. I do know, though, Pat Short and fucking Brendan O'Connell must be in some kind of shadowy fraternity like the Freemasons or the Rosicrucians to be getting the amount of taxpayer-funded money that they be do getting by those demonic entities running the greasy pole of RTE. The former, Dunbelievables, was co-created by Pat Short, a man who came to fame in Father Ted, who gears his humour towards the fuzzy-headed Irish farming community, or the little bald ladine who's from Mensa, O'Connell, he dresses up like an old woman, pretending to be in Dublin. For a man in Mensa, he sure knows how to make big money making comedy for people with an IQ below 85. Fair fucks to them, I say. They did well for themselves. The cunts. McCreevy continued. So yeah, that McCreevy prick I was telling you about. He's still on the GAA team. Yet he absolutely lives for the beer. His days on the pitch are coming to an end and he's growing increasingly bitter with age. He was sound back in the day, but nowadays he acts like an absolute stink dog when he's pitched up. I don't know what happened to him. I suppose he spent most of his life on the pitch, on the farm, or on the piss with the boys. He never managed to bag himself a woman. I'd be amazed to hear what kind of waffle he does be coming out with in a bid to convince them into coital courtship. Saying that, though, I don't begrudge any individual's fondness for self-medication. I'd be similar myself when it comes to putting away a foolish amount of stuff. It all depends on your awareness of how it affects you. Health aspects aside, if you behave like a complete nutter bollocks while lushed up to the eyeballs... Maybe you should be thinking about laying off it for a bit. McCreevy and his crew are the kind of boys who are sound to your face, but talk proper shite about you when you're not there. Sucking up to bar owners to get special privileges and regular prices. Remembering special occasions for all the wrong reasons. A hidden agenda and self-promotion. Always appearing in important photographs of local events as to be synonymous with townsmanship, giving the illusion he's a pure pillar of the community. He's all right in small doses, but when you're stuck next to him at the bar, 
and there's no buffer between us. He does be either talking aspirational shite about the local team, even though they never win anything, or reminiscing about the old days of bygone Ireland, times he himself never actually experienced. Sure, they didn't have any phones or computers back then, never mind crisps and kinder buenos, or any of those modern luxuries we take for granted today. McCreevy is an exceptionally narrow-minded man. He'd make Buzz McDonald look like Alan Watts the philosopher. It's his way or the highway. One of these wiry lads would sit around firesides with old books talking about forgotten Ireland, tapping them for useful information and cute whore tips, acquiring vicarious wisdom to be used in his own arsenal of strokes and schemes. He loves nothing more than winding up more intelligent folk. Proper Kruger Dunning job. Thinking he's red hot shit. That he knows more about the outside world than he lets on. He lives to be regaling his cohort of red-faced sauce fiends. Of occasions when he'd unscrupulously beguiled lesser savvy folk out of handy money. Or the deeds to an old field. He once sold an old wrecked Toyota Camry to Winty Ford, a legally blind man, one night in the dark up at his house, knowing full well your man had the eyesight of a pissed-up bat. McCreevy was relishing in the con, though, laughing away as he was telling the Lord lads and Duncreevy's the crack. The merciless scoffing was deafening, the schlepping of hands on knees. Him sat there all smug, like Malcolm in the middle. The face on him, like Floyd Money Fontleroy. The car was in bits when he came to look at it. I got a grand off him for it. A grand! Wait till you hear this. Sure wasn't I given a hundred quid to take it away as scrap for Tommy Joe Lotey. Tommy Joe Lotey, a man given a new second name based on his high-pitched voice from having nearly zero testosterone in his body after losing his bollocks in a bizarre incident inside a chicken coop. You know what they say, bellowed McCreevy. A fool and his money are easily parted. He thought he was getting the deal of a century. He even gave me the price of a pint afterwards, that daft cunt. I bought a two-week holiday for myself in Santa Panza. Oh, stop. She had a great time of it. Jamie's lament. How they all laughed. A big gang of them. Always coming into the pub they are. Playing cards and drinking for hours. They'd be in daily like clockwork. Just to be perving on the bar women. One fat owl buck in particular, called Shamey Ronson, he's some tulip, a livestock farmer who snitches for insurance companies. He sits there for hours, nursing his pint while taking in all the juicy gossip. Tell him nothing if you see him. Treat him like a mushroom. Keep him in the dark and feed him nothing but shite. Cause he's another one of them sly cunts, who if you weren't local, you'd think is sound at first glance. He'd be there lending a sympathetic, plastic ear to those who are desperate enough to open their hearts to him 
after a few pints. He goes off home then and compiles a dossier on them. The boy's uptown to call him Zuckerberg because he'll sell your information onto shadowy bad bastards. There's a nice-looking young bar woman called Marianne working in there in Dunkreebies. Tidy shape to her. For months, your man deliberately waited for her to come back in particular so he could order a bottle of West Coast Cooler, knowing full well she has to bend down to pick it up out the bottom of the fridge. I wouldn't mind, but he does be usually drinking stout. And when she's bent over there with the top of the thong sticking out, He'll have a good gawk for himself. A dirty old creep. Big waft of stale sweat and eggy farts off him. The seasoned gut of a greaser, eating nothing but mixed grill and soggy chips, washed down with a dozen pints of Guinness. The West Coast cooler crack went on for ages. He became a running joke with himself and his weird mates. All until... Marianne's patience finally ran out and she told her fiancé, Barry Malloy, about it. Barry Malloy furiously bounded into the pub one evening after a full day's work, timed it right, stalked his quarry and caught Ronson with the pants down. Quite literally, caught him as he was having a shite in the jacks. Malloy, he's a sinewy type of man, slim, but strong as an ox, a concrete shutterer by trade, and a handy book with the steel, if you get what I mean. Rough, calloused hands from years of outdoor graft, raised in a family of tough guys that were boxing since they were in the womb. After quizzing the old soaks upon arrival about Shamie's whereabouts, one of them sold Shamie down the river, Fair play to Tony Lavelle with a lacklustre raised hand pointed towards the toilet before burying the head down and into the pint. The rest of them continued on cowardly drinking, talking about the horse racing on TV, knowing full well the wrath that was to be incurred by an unsuspecting Ronson. A determined and incensed Barry proceeded to burst into the toilet before kicking in the door to the men's stall. Like a German machine gunner on the beachheads of Normandy, he unleashed a vigorous flurry of rat-a-tat-tat slaps as Shamie was furiously trying to wipe his hole, pulling up the kecks at the same time. T'was no use. Shamie was incapacitating by fast, neat, nippy belts. He just didn't understand what was happening to him. What's going on? Help! He was shouting. Of course his mates knew exactly what was happening. As did McCreevy. But they pretended not to notice. They just kept playing cards. Loudly talking about the racing. To vainly cover up the loud rattling. Of MDF vinyl coated toilet walls. The sound of slaps. Reverberating off the ceramic tiles. All along. McCreevy, reveling in it, sitting back, laughing to himself, non-stop giggling. He was in his element, winking to the other lads at the bar, supping away on his pint, skating to his mates, giddily leaning back into his seat, guffawing 
at the howls coming from the men's room. He was absolutely loving the crack. Despite moments earlier, the two men had been thoroughly enjoying reminiscing about the wholesome innocence of the 80s. A pure bink, bink, bink job. Shamey spent a full 20 minutes trying to get up off the toilet, attempting to gain a defensive strike on Barry, only to be pushed back down. It got to the point where Shamey just gave up and took it. Pants down around the ankles. Apparently at one stage, Barry had to reach over and flush the chain because of the smell. The hazing continued on. In a final, shameful crescendo, Barry Malloy took out his flute and pissed all over Ronson's chest. Ronson's now decade-old knitted jumper and shirt combo was utterly sopping wet with urine. Ronson, 52, was left crying like a fat toddler. Utterly broken he was. Barry waded confidently into the bar, turning to Marianne, saying, Took care of that fat shite blocking up the toilet. He'll have no bother from now on. He gave her a wink. She smiled at him as she was polishing some pint glasses. And he walked off out the door. The video went viral on WhatsApp. It was an overnight sensation around the town. Sent off to Castletown lads working around the globe. Canada. England. Australia. And Sligo. Sure enough, the guards were called and went to court. There was no denying the hammering Ronson took was a bit heavy-handed. What was Malloy's defence for this egregious act of emasculation? She was only a bit of crack, Your Honour. Just a bit of harmless slagging that went a little bit too far. A bit of messing. Ronson reluctantly agreed, nodding his head from the bench. Because of what? Yes, you guessed it. Small town diplomacy. In fairness, no. He won't be asking Marianne to serve many West Coast coolers from the bottom of the fridge anymore. So I guess it all worked out well in the end. Well, until Shamey finds out a way of how to exact revenge on Barry. But we'll see what the future holds on that. Life in a small town is like living in an open prison. A Hotel California job. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. It's just part of the culture. You have to be diplomatic with people you have absolutely no time for, even though they're out to do you. And to be honest, you'd like to do them too. It would be way worse if we openly displayed malcontent for each other. There would be savage fights asunder, bloodletting around the clock. We all know it's a pure waste of time, but we'll chat away to one and all with a passionate false interest in each other's pub talk. Chapter 3. The Origin of Chats Myself and French Toast once took chats a few years ago. It was a slow, boring Tuesday. We were just after getting a spicy chicken fillet burger and a curry cheese chips from the local fast food dispensary. 
We were feeling class after picking up the doll. Brewster's million style. Torstein said, There's never a better time to take pills and come up like a pair of bastards. I was like, Torstein, I can think of at least 20 other better occasions. But what could I say? Other than that, it was a particularly boring Tuesday. Drizzly owl weather. No one around. Early December. Long, tedious evenings bleeding into the next. To be fair, I'd rarely had shit times on chats. So we concurred it would be a landmark occasion leading up to Christmas. They say MDMA, or pills, were designed as a Nazi truth serum used for ascertaining information from suspects during the interrogation process of spies. They reckon Hitler was mad on the gear, day and night, probably shelved pills up his arse the odd time before he'd sit down to draw up battle plans or oversee proposed municipality water pipelines in Hanover, or whatever the fuck the mad prick was at. Don't quote me on this, but I heard some scientist working in a chemistry lab accidentally invented chats. He tested out a batch of them on himself and his mates down in the beer house one Saturday afternoon. The sheer power of the Michael D blew the lederhosens right off them. Soon they discovered the more loved up they were, the more shite they'd be blowing. Lads hugging each other. It wasn't long though until some dodgy SS villains in leather jackets got wind of the crack and started using them for interrogation purposes. After World War II, American chemists started prescribing them to couples going through marital issues in a bid to get them as high as the moon before dropping a few home truth bombs. And by fuck, on that wet Tuesday evening, myself and Torstein were both loved up to the gills. Two of us walked into Dunkreeby's, feeling like we were in Miami Vice, cruising in on a cloud of air, explaining to everyone how much we loved them by telling them how much we actually hated them. How much we hated their shite stories and backchatting, and why we hated them. It was so truthful, so honest, so refreshingly open, they gave us a round of applause. We came to a mutual conclusion to mend our ways, be frank and kind to one another, to live our lives in virtue, building a new fraternal bond of incorruptibility, striving for genuine tolerance and respect for each other. Satisfied, we left that pub on a pure high. It was great, magical even. We firmly believe that we turned a corner in human evolution, setting a new precedence in expanding the town's consciousness. That was until the next day arrived. With it came the brutal come-down, and then only to be paid a visit from the Dole inspector, who had been instructed to call around at the cottage at 9am. He was followed by the TV license inspector. Fifteen Domino's pizzas arrived, and then five tons of gravel was delivered right outside the front door. Sure, it was our own fault, but we'll get them again. Mark my words, it's a long road with no turn. Cuts. Castletown Life, Uggis, Shit TV. 
The streets of Castletown are haunted with old ghosts and memories, skeletons of the past. The footsteps of great giant headers that stomped through this town long before I was a niche in my father's satchel. Like everyone else, no man is an island. Even the hardiest of books must capitulate to the ever-thrashing waves of age, giving right of way to up-and-coming tough guys, whether settling down voluntarily or being dragged down. She that's the circle of life, man. Just like Simba's Owlad once said in Disney's Jungle Book. Remember, Elton John sung about it after Princess Diana got murdered by the royal family for being secretly impregnated by a Muslim lad she was tapping called Dodi Al-Fired. That didn't go down too well with the crown. That Prince Philip is a pure wrongin man. Look at the face on him. Like a crow picking the peanuts out of a weightlifter's shite. He's up to no good. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually dead and they thaw him out for special occasions. Some life. So what is life? But a series of ups and downs, filled with chilled out middle of the road bits. And those bits can be the most dangerous to an aspiring individual that wants to cast aside the shackles of Babylon and bust loose from a life of mediocrity. Triumph can spur you on to reaching new heights, pushing a winning streak to the point of taking the piss out of victory. Kind of like Dublin GAA, 90s Man U, or Ronaldo. Not Brazilian Ronaldo, but Portuguese Ronaldo. On the other hand, at rock bottom, with nothing to lose, a desperate man will throw absolutely everything he has into the mix. He'll do anything possible to escape the orbit of the black hole he's been stuck in. During such times, the only way is up, baby! And you can ride the wave. Do you remember riding the wave? A bit like the time Patrick Swayze at the end of Point Break was going out surfing and Keanu Reeves runs after him on the beach. Let me go, man! Let me ride the wave, dude! And he goes, okay! And then next thing... The Australian book comes with like a little plastic police hat. He goes, get him when he comes back in. Keanu Reeves says, he ain't coming back in. And then the boys are just standing there looking at Patrick Swayze getting crushed by a massive wave. Actually, for all you surf buffs out there, little tidbit for you. That was actually filmed on Bells Beach in Torquay near Melbourne in Australia. If you don't believe me, look it up on the interwebs. Now, during such times, the only way is up, and you can ride that wave, gloriously following through straight to the top of Hardass Lane. And when you finally get there, never, ever take your foot off the gas. You'll have to fight tooth and nail to stay on top. Now, the creamy bit in the middle of life, that's the grey area of ambition. Sometimes we're happy enough to pop the car out of gear and coast downhill to save on petrol. The middle bit can range from mild irritation to decent thrills. A bit like watching Navy CIS. Actually, what the fuck am I talking about? I hate Navy CIS. What a load of daft shite, man. It's terrible. What were the creators even thinking? I mean, imagine people got paid insane money 
to produce that dirty old scour. So fucking random too, man. They squeezed out a good 10 years from it as well. A detective show all about crime scene investigators in the Navy. You'd write a better storyline based on some chartered accountant searching for financial wrongdoers in Panasonic. It had that MacGyver pleb from Stargate SG-1 in it. Do you remember that SG-1, do you? Another load of elephant splooge. It was on every fucking day, man, clogging up Sky 1 of an evening. It had that big muscular black lad with a shaved head and a drag queen's face. As Stateside would say, he's a gay tough guy. The Stargate movie with Kurt Russell was grand though, but the series was nothing but a heap of ring muscle. There was more crack in a used condom. Do you remember NCIS, do you? Do you? It's pure rubbish, man. It had some goth bird in the 40s dressed up like a teenage emo and a dog collar and everything. Absolute wanton guff. She takes solid pipe, though. Besotted for length. Buzz McDonald said she'd bungee jump into a pit of flaming hot crocodiles just for the vision of girth. I wish I'd never thought of it now, man. It's put me in proper bad form. What other American TV shite do I hate? Oh, yeah. Gilmore Girls. That shite. Evil, demonic scum does me head in, man. The way they talk to each other. No pause between the dialogue. Sure, it's a sign the actors are disciplined enough to rehearse and act out an incredibly verbose, fast-paced script. But it's like listening to a rake of shams coming up on pills in Athlone Town. That old criminal minds was atrocious as well. Tell you this, hey, it'd turn me into a criminal just watching it. I do time for the bastards that made it. Solid time. A good three months in Castle Ree prison. Castle Ree. My old lady told me it's basically a holiday camp for small town young offenders. The kind of ruffians like the Viper, who have a penchant for low level violence and petty crime. Oh man, what else do I hate? Oh, fucking Big Bang Theory, man. What a dirty pile of wank that is. It's the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Imagine the hard coin these soft fools earn to bosh out that generic slurry. Think of the pond life that enjoy viewing it. There's loads of them living out there among us. Cretans, the lot of them. My old lady had to clean old folks' arses in nursing homes for peanuts. While these wrongdoers go about Hollywood, living the vida loca, fucking Ricky Martin job. It'd sicken you beyond reason, man. Teams of unfunny bastards. American writers' guild merchants who went to top colleges to learn how to be hired guns, working in tandem, pumping out comedy one-liners. And I use the term comedy loosely. Here's an example of how that writing would sound. Scene 9. Internal Nerd House Day. Sheldon and the other geeky dudes are talking about who could build the best gaming rig for a PC out of the Incredible Hulk and the Green Lantern. Suddenly, there is a knock at the door. Sheldon walks over and opens it up. Hot girl next door. Hey, Sheldon. I just wanted to see if one of you guys could fix the sink in my bathroom. I think the pipe is blocked.
What do I look like to you, a plumber? No, but maybe you could use the power of deduction to diagnose the root of the problem, being that you've got such a good brain and junk. Good brain? For your information, I have an IQ of over 175, but unfortunately, I am bewilderingly incapacitated by virtue of being an insufferable daft prick. Now please shove that cucumber up into the fulcrum of my sweaty ass. Rapturous applause. End scene. Triumph and adversity. Dodgy advice. Don't get me wrong. Glory and victory is class and all. But believe it or not, failure can be an even more rewarding aspect of life. It takes skill, courage and sacrifice to be a winner. But you have to be tough to be a loser. Being a loser builds character so it does. Repeated failure prepares you for the inevitable disappointments later on in life. Look at UFC fighter Ronda Rousey, the time she lost the belt to Holly Holm. Waste of time, man. She didn't even shake hands before going into the cage. Hard as nails. Moody old face on her. Came out all guns blazing. Wouldn't touch gloves. Then, she got clocked out. Good style. The judo failed her. She wasn't able to minimize the space effectively enough. Holmes' reach, evasion, and striking game was surgical. Hiding jabs behind kicks. Kicks behind jabs. Before Rousey could get a handle on it, the game was lost. It was a tough life lesson for Rousey. Crying away then inside the cage, all embarrassed. "'Twas a hard old fall from the top of the heap. "'Now she's getting handy coin to bench-press shaved-headed steroid abusers in WWE, "'formerly known as WWF. "'Not to be confused with the other WWF, "'the wild animal protecting charity started by two eugenics wrongans, "'Aldous Huxley and that frozen cadaver from earlier on I was talking about, Prince Philip.' Won't be sending any more coin to those boys. And that's gospel, according to Chris Gavigan. Once a winner gets a taste of losing, it's good night and good bl- It's good night and God bless for the pride. The ego kicks into overdrive then. If you don't learn how to be humble in defeat, you lose the run of yourself fairly lively. Fall short of the mark or face plant as much as repeatedly as I have done, you'll get used to it after a while. Developing a passive, who-gives-a-fuck attitude that surely won't let you down. If anything, you'll be pleasantly surprised when things turn out right. It's almost like an insurance policy. And failure reminds us not to have too many lofty ideas. Play to your strengths. Stay within your limits. Whenever you think life is going well, and then you start getting cocky. Bam! The rug is swept from underneath you. Like the time I went up to Dublin, tried to blag my way into a fancy office job, which I will go into further detail later on. Botched love interests. Oh, I've had me fair share of them. Getting arrested. Oh, yeah. Making a tit out of myself in public. Oh, you better believe it, Sonny Jim. But some of my biggest mistakes were born from taking useless advice 
from individuals with no idea what the hell they're talking about. Midnight pissheads outside pubs, leading me to believe handy work could be obtained by befriending captains of industry in public houses. There's a reason people say I'll sleep on it before making important decisions. Side note, beware of older relatives too. Sometimes they're bitter on the sly because they've pissed away their best years, making the wrong decisions in life. Or they've had great years and are now jealous that you're at the all-you-can-eat crack buffet and they're not invited. Guidance counsellor. I was once led astray by my career guidance counsellor back in school. She wanted me to go to college up in DCU to do computer programming back in 2000. Computers. No, 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 I said. I know what you're at. Trying to crush my dreams, aren't you? Computers. You mean those things that sit in the corner give you cancer? So what would I be doing with one of them? I want to be a Formula One driver. I told you that already, sister. Eddie, lad, be realistic. I've actually gone through the trouble of in-depth research for all of the requirements you need to make it in Formula One racing. Millions of pounds. A Formula Three race car. A track. Sponsors. Mechanical pit crew. A transportation truck. Bare minimum, you'll need a driver's license. They don't even have that. Sister, I need a Ferrari job and that's that. Shreddy Irvine did it. And he's a feckless naughty womanizer. Anyways, I don't want to go to college. It'll just be another four years of school. And well, school's boring, man. People telling me what to do all the time. Fuck that caper. Looking back now, Sister Deirdre was actually trying to give me sound advice. Ah, well, I can't put the genie back in the bottle at this stage. I'm amazed. The fat blue prick squeezed into the lamp to begin with. I'm talking about Disney's Aladdin, played by Blobby Williams. Blobby Williams' films were class. Do you remember when he played a transsexual in Miss Doubtfire? Pierce Brosnan was in that, hey. Some fucking man is Pierce. And he's a Meath man as well. Plenty of good land up in Meath, hey. Lovely green grass. Solid pH levels. Soil. Loamy as you like. Great for crops. And that's word. According to Seamus Greeny. Look it. I just want to get out of this place. With some surefire get-rich-quick scheme. It's not just my own folly standing in the way of reaching my dream house in Palm Beach. There's also a gang of saboteur crewlers hanging round in town, and they'd love to see me faceplant into a bed of stinging nettles. I know that for a fact. It was doing the rounds uptown. Sure, if I do manage to get this book published, they'll say, Yeah, Durkin, read your book, man. Yeah, any good? No, man. It was a fucking ball of shite. But on the down low, the same begrudger would secretly be proud and supportive of me because I'd done my best to put the town on the map. That for all intents and purposes, I love my town, warts and all. Perhaps he'd even recommend this book to others in his sphere of influence, telling them, Yeah, man, I told him, keep going, Eddie. Don't stop until you reach the finish line. Maybe he'd even take further credit by saying that he'd offered his opinion 
and wise counsel to me during the lonely hours of the writing process, subsequently impressing others into buying him sweet pints of Smithick's Blonde. That's the way it goes. People in town don't really like to admit it when others are doing well. On the other hand, they don't really like to see people struggle too much either. They want you to be stuck in limbo. Like I said, the grey area in the middle I was talking about. It's the even keel, the equaliser. It's called tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand, or Jantelaget if you're in Sweden. Much like the crack in communist East Germany back in the 80s, get above your station and you'll know all about it. Those of us hardy enough attempting to fight our ambitions are firstly ignored by those uptown. They don't want to encourage any seeds of creativity falling on fertile land. If the shoots of enterprise begin sprouting, then you'll be relentlessly slagged off. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.